Nick, I realized that as we were recording these podcasts stating it how we don't know how to ultrasound, we're also interviewing for MFM fellowship positions. That's right. At least I know how to put my hand on the probe and know which way the little button means according to the screen. So I guess that's a start, but where we go from there, I'm not quite sure. Actually, I just want to highlight to all of our potential fellowship interviewers that we may have a leg up because we've been using the OBG's first second trimester atlas. The second trimester atlas from the OBG project is an excellent resource that shows you all normal images for the second trimester anatomy scan. If you're a chief resident like Nick and I, you can also go on to the OBG project. You can find a link on our website, sign up for absolutely free for one year and have awesome access to all of their articles, information, as well as emails that will give you the latest updates to practice guidelines and research. CreeEggsOverCoffee.com. Check out the sidebar and sign up for free one year of OBG first. guys welcome back this is Faye. this is nick and this is creogs over coffee today guys we're going to talk about adnexal masses and this is going to be a multi-part series so get your ears ready Let's start with our learning objectives. So first of all, with these series, we are going to learn about the different types of findings on imaging for adnexal masses. We're gonna talk about the initial management guidelines on incidental findings of ovarian and other adnexal masses. And finally, in our next two episodes, we'll be talking about the difference between benign and malignant tumors of the ovary, fallopian tube, and the peritoneum. We will not be talking about ovarian cancer management, chemotherapy, because that is a topic all on its own, and we will probably be making some episodes about that later. All right, Nick, so let's say you send your patient for an ultrasound and it comes back, voila, at an exile mass. What do you do? So context is key to start. We have a lot of reasons for getting pelvic ultrasounds, right? So, you know, it could be somebody you sent for an ultrasound for pregnancy, or maybe you sent them for the reason of abnormal bleeding or pelvic pain, other stuff like that. So first of all, you got to frame it in the context of why you ordered the ultrasound in the first place and ultimately got this incidentaloma. There's some important information that your radiologist and yourself really will want to know um, in order to start to triage what this finding is about. Some of those things include the patient's age and her last menstrual period, what the signs and symptoms were that maybe pointed you towards thinking there was a pelvic abnormality, um, what her hormonal status is, including whether she's on hormonal contraceptives, other medications. Other helpful information for the radiologist and for you in terms of triaging risk might include a personal or family history of cancers, um, a history of prior pelvic surgeries, and if there are any other previous imaging studies that might help the radiologist correlate changes over time. I guess, Faye, to start with the first category of possibilities, I guess some of these things could be normal, right? Yeah, absolutely. So let's divide this into what's normal for a reproductive aged woman or someone who's premenopausal and someone who's postmenopausal. So in a reproductive aged woman, these women will normally have ovarian follicles that appear as cysts. And this will appear as thin, smooth-walled, round or oval, anechoic, meaning appearing black on ultrasound, with no real blood flow and a size less than or equal to three centimeters. 
A normal ovary, depending on the time of the menstrual cycle, can also have a corpus luteum, which is actually diffusely thick-walled with peripheral blood flow. It's less than or equal to 3 centimeters with or without internal echoes and can have a crenulated or an irregular or serrated appearance. So these cysts are absolutely normal in a reproductive age woman and do not need follow-up. In a postmenopausal woman, however, the normal ovary usually appears small and homogenous, and it's usually atrophic. And as expected, in these women, they probably don't have follicles. So they can have small, simple cysts that are less than or equal to one centimeter. And again, these cysts should be thin-walled, anechoic, with no flow. These are usually clinically unimportant, and again, don't need any follow-up. So just to review, cysts that are less than three centimeters for reproductive age women and less than one centimeter for postmenopausal women, as long as they are thin-walled or potentially represents a corpus luteum, do not need follow-up. Next, we'll move on to cysts with benign characteristics. So again, rather than normal, these are true cysts, but suggest that they're benign. There's a bunch of different types of cysts that fit this category, so we'll go over them one by one. First, we'll talk about just simple cysts. Um, and in this, we have both ovarian and extra ovarian simple cysts. These are usually described as round or oval. They're anechoic and smooth with thin walls. They don't have any solid components or septations, and they don't have any internal flow at all. For follow-up for these types of cysts in reproductive age women, if they're less than five centimeters, no true follow-up is needed. However, if they're between 5 and 7 centimeters, the recommendation is for annual follow-up. In postmenopausal women, if these cysts range between 1 and 7 centimeters, so again, just with that discriminatory zone, if you will, of 1 centimeter, there should be annual follow-up to evaluate the characteristics of the cyst. At any age, a cyst is larger than 7 centimeters, further imaging should be considered. Um, and that could be something like an MRI or even doing surgery. Our next type of cyst is a hemorrhagic cyst, and I'm sure we have all seen this in the past. So a hemorrhagic cyst is formed when there's bleeding into a follicular or corpus luteal cyst. You'll probably see this described on an ultrasound as reticular patterns of internal echoes. Um, and I like to try and, you know, make this into English from our radiology colleagues for the rest of us to understand, which really means a lacy pattern or potentially a ground glass appearance. And they may or may not have solid appearing areas with concave margins and no internal flow. For hemorrhagic cysts, the follow-up is, again, dependent on the age of the woman. So for someone who is of reproductive age, if they are less than or equal to 5 centimeters, you don't have to follow these up. If they're greater than 5 centimeters, then we should do an ultrasound or other imaging techniques from 6 to 12 weeks after to ensure that they have resolved. In the early postmenopausal stage, any size will need follow-up to ensure resolution. And in a postmenopausal stage, you should consider surgery. Next up are endometriomas. Endometriomas we're all familiar with as well that are cystic masses that arise from endometrial tissue that's ectopic to the ovary. Endometriomas on ultrasound show up as homogenous low levels of internal echoes within the cyst and don't have a solid component, um, but there may or may not be tiny echogenic foci within the wall. The recommended follow-up for these regardless of age is within 6 to 12 weeks. And if they're not surgically removed at that point, you should consider annual follow-up. Treatment for these ultimately is usually surgical removal. 
We then move on to dermoids or mature teratomas. So dermoids, remember, are cystic structures that contain tissue from totipotential germ cells, basically germ cells that can become anything anywhere in the body. Um, and these germ cells are present at birth and they can differentiate abnormally in a dermoid. And so in a dermoid, that's why you can find things like skin, hair, teeth, fat, bone, pretty much anything. The main issue with dermoids is when they grow bigger, they can cause complications like torsion, rupture, and infection. On ultrasound, they will have a focal or diffuse hyperechoic component, meaning they appear white, um, and they may have hyperechoic lines and dots. There's probably areas of acoustic shadowing, and that may be due to the presence of bone within, and there's usually no internal flow. The treatment for dermoids is surgical removal. Next, we have hydrosalpinks or hydrosalpinges. These are fluid-filled fallopian tubes, and on ultrasound, they appear like tubular-shaped cystic masses with or without some short, round projections. And the classic description of those short, round projections are beads on a string. Um, you may also see something called a waste sign on the ultrasound, which is where there's an indentation on the fallopian tube itself on opposite sides. kind of looks like a waste or an hourglass type of shape. These hydrosalpinks can be separate from the ovary, so just the adnexa that's affected. Um, and the follow-up and treatment really should only be if a patient's symptomatic for it. Um, so there's not necessarily something that you have to go straight away and do for hydrosalpinges. Our last obvious cysts with benign characteristics are actually peritoneal inclusion cysts. So these are cyst-like structures that appear in relation to the peritoneum and results from non-neoplastic reactive mesothelial proliferation. And it usually will follow the contour of the adjacent pelvic organ. Um, the ovary can be at the edge of the mass or within the mass. And again, there can be septations. The treatment for peritoneal inclusion cysts is also surgery if the patient is symptomatic. Now we're gonna move on from these cysts with benign characteristics and get a little more ominous. And we'll call these this group indeterminate or possibly benign. Some of the characteristics that make a cyst indeterminate or sort of a moderate category can include the fact that the cyst is thin-walled with a single thin septation or the presence of a focal calcification in the wall of the cyst. So the follow-up should be based on the size of the cyst and the menopausal status similarly to that of simple cysts. Another indeterminate factor will be multiple thin septations. And by thin septations, we mean septations that measure less than three millimeters on ultrasound. Multiple septations suggest the neoplasm, but if there are th but if they're thin septations, the neoplasm is likely benign. So for follow-up, you should consider surgery. The last characteristic that falls into this indeterminate category are the presence of nodules that are non-hyperechoic without flow. Solid nodules suggest neoplasm in ovarian cysts, but if there's no flow and these nodules are not echogenic, this is likely a benign lesion, something like a cystadenoma. For follow-up for these, you should consider surgery or further imaging like an MRI. And if the patient isn't a candidate for surgery, you can consider monitoring with repeat imaging, and ultimately you may be able to determine if these are benign with just time and imaging. And finally, we're going to move on to our worrisome findings on ultrasound or other imaging techniques. And follow-up for all of these findings should be tailored as if your patient has a malignancy. 
Some of these findings include thick septations or irregular septations, thick meaning greater than three millimeters on your imaging, as well as nodules with flow. Well, so Nick, I mean, we've talked about all of our benign findings and our potentially benign findings. So what type of badness is out there? If we are worried by something on imaging, what are the possibilities that we could have? So again, we're going to focus another episode on ovarian malignancy, diagnosis, treatment, etc. So this is, again, a general overview, and we got a lot more to come on this topic. But the incidence of malignant ovarian neoplasm in a premenopausal woman with an annexal mass is 6 to 11%. But in postmenopausal women, that incidence rises to 30%. Um, so again, you want to keep a good sense out there and use your imaging as well as your history to try and differentiate what patients are going to be at risk or at higher risk, I should say, of malignancy. Um, we'll be talking about primary ovarian fallopian tube peritoneal cancers and not metastatic cancers in these future episodes, so stay tuned. All right, Nick, so let's go ahead and sum up all those ultrasound findings that we've talked about. All right, so... For normal ultrasound findings, again, we're talking about simple, thin-walled, smooth-walled, non-septated, anechoic cysts. Um, in a premenopausal woman, where you talk about follicles, which should be less than or equal to three centimeters, or a corpus luteum cyst, which also should be less than or equal to three centimeters. Corpus luteums can have a somewhat irregular appearance, but overall are simple, and these do not need a follow-up. In postmenopausal women, simple cysts should be less than one centimeter to be considered normal. In terms of cysts with benign characteristics, we'll first start with the simple cyst. And that means something that is round or oval, anechoic, smooth, thin walls, without solid components or septations, and no internal flow. Follow-up for premenopausal women should be a yearly imaging if they are between 5 and 7 centimeters. For postmenopausal women, yearly if they are 1 to 7 centimeters. And for any age, if they are greater than 7 centimeters, you should consider further imaging or even surgical evaluation. Hemorrhagic cysts also have benign characteristics. And again, they have this reticular pattern or lacy pattern with the ground glass appearance with or without solid appearing areas. The follow-up the follow-up for these is a little more frequent. In reproductive age women with hemorrhagic cysts greater than five centimeters, they should have a follow-up ultrasound in six to 12 weeks. In early postmenopausal women and late postmenopausal women, they need even more frequent follow-up at any size and the consideration for surgery should be given. Endometriomas are also another type of benign finding, and these are usually homogenous with low levels of internal echoes and no solid components. For premenopausal women, you should follow up between 6 to 12 weeks and then consider surgery if it is not resolved at that point. If not, you can also follow them up yearly. Dermoids are mature teratomas or cystic structures that, again, are totipotential, so they contain cells or tissue from all germ cell layers. These can contain things like skin, hair, teeth, fat, and bone. On ultrasounds, they're focal or diffusely hyperechoic, with hyperechoic lines and dots and areas of shadowing that might suggest the internal components. They do not have any internal flow, and the treatment is surgical. And finally, in terms of masses that are outside of the ovary that are benign, they're both hydrosalpinges and peritoneal inclusion cysts. 
Hydrosalpinges will appear as fluid-filled tubes, and really follow-up is only necessary if the patient is symptomatic. Peritoneal inclusion cysts are going to follow the contour of an adjacent pelvic organ and can appear with the ovary at the edge of the mass or within the mass, and there can be septations. And again, treatment is only if patient is symptomatic. Moving on from those likely benign are the indeterminate or possibly benign categories. And we described characteristics on ultrasounds that might make you worry a little bit more. So for these, you're thinking a thin-walled cyst that either has a single thin septation or focal calcification in the wall of the cyst or multiple thin septations. And again, thin by definition is less than three millimeters on ultrasound. Um, and then the presence of non-hyperechoic nodules that do not have flow may also suggest neoplasm, but in this case is likely a benign neoplasm such as a cystadenoma. And finally, things that would make us worry about malignancy include thick or greater than three millimeter septations, irregular septations, and nodules with blood flow. And these should have follow-up with regards to how you would follow up um, ovarian or adnexal malignancy. All right, so once again, I'm Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and go on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or any other of your podcatchers and give us a five-star rating and review. Find us online on Twitter at Creogs Over Coffee 1, on Facebook at Creogs Over Coffee, on Instagram at Creogs Over Coffee, or on our Patreon where you can get a shout out for on the show, some cool swag, and exclusive content, www.patreon.com slash coffee. Do you want some images on how all of these descriptions that we said actually look like? Go ahead and go on our website, www.creogsovercoffee.com. If you have questions, concerns, or a correction from this episode, or you want to hear about something else, email us, creogsovercoffee at gmail.com. <laughs>